0: And welcome into the OBR podcast. Jared Mueller. You can get a hold of me on Twitter at Jared K. Mueller. Uh, make sure you get on the site, theobr.com, to see all the great stuff that is up. I wrote an article about Desmond King. Uh, we'll talk about him here in a second. Uh, Stephen Thomas has written an article about gluing your butt cheeks together, and we'll talk to him right now. So. Uh, welcome in your guy, my guy, the funny guy, Mister Stephen Thomas. How are you tonight?
1: Well, you go with your strengths when you write stuff. You know, they say write what you know, and you know stuff like gluing your butt cheeks together and um, falling naked on a pile of thumbtacks. That's that's like stuff that, that's up my alley and seems like it could happen to me. So that's what I wrote about.
0: You know, it's funny, I didn't even read the article yet just because I just got off work and all that fun stuff, but, um, you know, I just knew that was the, that was one of the things in it. So, Stephen, while we have the trade deadline, which we're going to spend most of our time on, uh, talking about for tomorrow, which is a big day for a lot of reasons, uh, go vote, folks. Uh, but besides that, there's also the NFL trade deadline. First, got to talk about the mess. The interesting, the the boring, the frustrating, the butt cheek closing uh, game from Sunday. So, what do you have taking away from okay. the Browns losing to the Las Vegas Raiders uh, on Sunday in that wind? Uh, what do they call it? The grapple uh, game. What What are some of your thoughts on that game?
1: I mean, it, it it was awful. It was terrible. It was it was actually kind of boring. It reminded me a lot of the 2016 2017 seasons where. It's not even like they gave up big, exciting plays that were fun to watch. They just boringly gave up 12-play, six-yard, you know, six conversions of third downs on the drive. Boring drives that they lost to. I mean, it was it was just dull. But in reality, it didn't really reveal anything that we didn't already know. I mean, without a fully healthy Miles, it has a tremendous effect on the entire defensive line and the, and the entire defense. Because you know, with him being gimpy and and being rotated in and out and everything, they they ran the ball way better than anyone uh, was expecting. Um, We still have they're good, but not great. They're not ready, you know, for all in moves, which I'm sure we're going to be talking about in the next part here. Um, But if you want to look at a silver lining on it, it, it was still right there. As poorly as everything went, it was right there for the taking. I mean, if you don't, if you take away the drops and the Bryant fumble, I mean, how, they, they had six possessions, and if I'm not mistaken, five of them ended on a drop that you know would have put either put them in the red zone or you know, kept a drive going on the right right side of the fifty, or uh, you know the the Bryant fumble handed the ball away. So, I mean, even if you end up just getting field goals on like three of those, I mean, now it's a it's a completely different ball game and. Uh, I, I I struggle with blaming Jarvis for the drop on the touchdown. I I mean, technically, I guess that's considered a drop, but that would have been a hell of a catch. It was I I, I can't blame him for the other one. I can blame him for, but that one it's 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 hard to call a drop on that. You know what I mean? It's I mean, I mean he technically, got well. yes, but <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't know the one on the touchdown that they reviewed and overturned. I uh, I don't know, but I mean, I think that's the. The good thing that you can take away from it now that the emotion is gone and the anger, we've gotten the anger out of our system. You step back and you look at it and, and looked at it in totality. As poorly as they played in as many different aspects of the game, it was still right there for the taking. And in years past, had they played half that poorly, it would have been 50 to 3, you know, against anybody. Right. So. I mean, you know, you you never want to – there are no moral victories, and I'm not trying to sugarcoat it because it was just awful yesterday. But if you want to take the emotion out of it and try to find something moving forward to build on, it's that there's a lot of talent on this team, and they easily could have won a game that they had no business winning.
0: Yeah, and I think that's the thing. Um, you know, I talked about it on yesterday's pod. So normally Stephen and I talk on Monday and I publish it uh, Tuesday morning, but I'm actually going to publish this tonight as soon as I can uh, just because we don't have a clue what might happen trade-wise. So we want to get it out there for you all as soon as possible. But I talked about it on the pod yesterday. Is You know, the reality is is um, the Browns, five drops like you talked about, the fumble without the perhaps the offensive lineman who is playing the best, uh, for their team, Wyatt Teller, without their type tight end, Austin Hooper, without their top wide receiver, Odo Beckham Jr., without their top running back, Nick Chubb, with Miles Garrett. Like, I literally just listed five of their six best right. players, seven best players, whatever it is, against uh, – and I'm going to write an article just talking about the tears in the NFL – But the Browns are obviously not in the top tier, but they they fit somewhere in the middle. Even if you just talk about three levels of tiers, you have the championship-level teams, the playoff-level teams, and the non-playoff-level teams. The Browns fit there right there with the Raiders in that playoff-level team. And with all of that true, the game was there for the taking. Like, that is telling. And you're right, in the past it would have been 50-3. So, you know, there are a lot of things in your article – uh, today that uh, I, I can't wait to look at, which would have been funner than, <laughs> than that game. So let's move forward. So, Well, and uh, then throw no. on
1: top of that, neither of us have talked about it. Uh, you got uh, Jed, who's been really, really good all year, having, without question, his worst game. I mean, he, it was right. just terrible. Two ball um, starts, one holding. And I have no no doubt that he's going to bounce back from it, but yesterday was a stinker. And, and frankly, and I'm not the only one who said this, I said it about midway through the second quarter, and it just continued. I It was so weird that they – maybe it's hangover from the wildness in Cincinnati, but they were just flat. It just seemed incredibly flat. It's, it was a very boring, unemotional, at least from the outside looking in, performance, and that's the first time we've seen that. I, I – And I imagine it's not going to happen again. Stefanski and his staff have done a great job of if there is a mistake, they figure it out and they correct it. And there's not a lot of things that we see happening over and over and over and over and over again uh, that they have the talent to fix. And I imagine that would be uh, the same. I mean, you can never completely eliminate that. You never know when that's going to happen or why it happens. But it was just just very frustrating. It was just very frustrating on so many levels. And like you just said, it was right there even with all that. So – that it makes me feel good going forward.
0: Yeah, and energy is such an interesting thing. You know, too many times the media and fans talk about energy as if it's, it's a flip of the switch. And mm-hmm.
1: the, the mm-hmm. reality
0: is there's there's hundreds of reasons for it, and we can't explain it always. And, you know, as a mental health provider, it's hard to explain even. It just happens, right? You, you Things don't go well. You're not feeling great. You didn't eat well. That wind is miserable. Listen, all of us who have been in Cleveland, lived in Cleveland, mm. lived on the lake, we know that that wind can just make you not want to do anything. Like, it just makes you want to curl up in a ball and just hang out in front of a fire. So, right. obviously, they're professionals getting paid lots of money. But there are there can be lots of reasons. And some of it can be, you know, you think about how the Browns have won, you know, their games or played their games. They either got destroyed, which is emotionally draining to get destroyed by your rival Ravens and Steelers, And then everything else has been pretty tight, pretty close, uh, you know, or really exciting games. The Dallas game, you know, they they took a little bit of a bigger lead. But there's a lot of emotion in these first seven, um, eight weeks that, you know, just takes a toll, especially on a pretty young team. There's not a lot of players here that know how to win in the NFL level. So, you know, there's a lot of reasons that energy can go away. It's actually one of the reasons that I thought if they could, the Browns would at least make a deal. And I, I know that sounds overly simplistic, and that's not why to make a deal, but if they could make a deal with some kind of pick swap or whatever to get a player just to have a little bit of a boost of energy and excitement. And a jolt,
1: sure. Yeah, a
0: little jolt. I mean, we saw it, again, I'm switching sports, but we saw it with LeBron James. You know, when they traded for Timothy Mozgov, Amon Shumpert, and uh, J.R. Smith, there was this jolt of energy, not because just because of talent coming in, but just – this excitement like, all right, yeah, we're going, we got this, whatever. And so um, that's one of the reasons I'm wondering about, you know, a trade. And then we get to today, right? And so Desmond King, uh, Adam Schechter reported uh, pretty, you know, early in the morning. He is on the block. I wrote an article for the OBR about why I didn't think the trade was going to happen. But one of the major components of that article or my, was my assumption that with multiple teams interested – with the quality of play that Desmond King has put on the field as a slot corner, that he have a pretty good uh, trade return to the Chargers, and in fact, he goes for a six round pick. So, what was your initial reaction
1: uh, to Desmond
0: King to the Titans for a six round pick?
1: Um, yeah, I mean, it's a steal, and it continues a, a trend. If you go all the way back to uh, the free agent uh, season back in March. It, Everybody that we were talking about, you know, um, it was a great class and all these people were going to take these. And then, you know, like just from the Browns case, we get uh, Billings on a one-year cheap deal. Thought he was going to get much more than that. Uh, A guy like Brian Poole, who, you know, I'm still interested in trading for, was supposedly going to be a hot commodity. He got a one-year deal. And there were a bunch of them, one-year Relatively cheap deals. How many times during free agency did, did Browns Twitter go, "Oh my God, why, we, why didn't we pay him that?" You know, I mean, it was there was a bunch of guys that took what what were perceived anyway to be below market uh, deals, and that seems to be continuing with the trades. A lot of the trades so far that we've seen, we're going really. That's it for for you know fill in the blank player, and King is just the latest one. Now, <clears throat> everything that you wrote in your article. Uh, is true, and anytime you're dealing with a Rosenhaus client th- that's coming up on free agency, that I mean, it has to be in your calculations. And he has a checkered history uh, dealing with the Browns and seems to have some sort of hard on against them. So, whether that played a part in it, I, I don't know. But I got to be honest, when you t- even I- including that, like you said, just looking for a jolt. Eight to ten games of putting Desmond King, in, which would fill a couple of needs uh, on the defense, for a sixth-round pick, I get the reasons for not doing it. You need those picks going forward, whether you're going to use them on a player or put them as part of a package to move up for something. But I don't know. I think I, I might have gone ahead and taken the chance that I could corral him and Rosenhaus into an extension uh, while they were here in the off season, I don't know. I mean, I, I'm not saying, you know, throwing up my hands and saying, "Oh, it's terrible that they let him go" or anything. But I might have gone ahead and do it, that, uh, done that, uh, even with the risk of him uh, of it being a rental. Um, and I've been strongly against any kind of rental. It's not the time to do that. But for a sixth round pick, mm, boy, I don't know. I might have taken the chance there.
0: Yeah, and I think that's I think that's where Browns fans are going to be frustrated. You know, um, you know my my pie in the sky. What's the positive possibility is that they believe Greedy Williams will return. And so if you believe Greedy Williams is going to return, be good. His shoulder is going to be healed. All that stuff. And you've got Denzel Ward. Greedy Williams. Remember they had Greedy Williams. As the starter, even, you know, through a few games in the season, they would note Terrence Mitchell was taking Greedy Williams' spot, so it tells you they're high on Greedy Williams, and so if you have Greedy Williams, Denzel Ward, Kevin Johnson, and Terrence Mitchell, maybe there's not room for a Desmond King, Um, but he can play free safety, he's done some of that in the past, so um, I think it's frustrating for Browns fans to not see a move like that, because. A six-round pick is a six-round pick. But I think what we're talking about is the difference between, and this is where long-term Jared has to take over for Jared who wants excitement, is we're talking about (laughs) eight to ten games of Desmond King for four possible years of a young guy, right? Right. Donovan Peoples-Jones or whoever it is. And it doesn't mean that young guy is going to make a huge difference. But I think one of the things that I've harped on over the years is that the Steelers and the Ravens and the Patriots and all of those teams, they have guys who have been in their roster for years that all of a sudden can step in. They may not be great, but they have been on the team for three or four years. They're cheap. And when they're called upon, they're able to play. They may not be starters, but there are just people that can step in and play the game. And the Browns haven't had that since, I don't know, Belichick, basically, um, where they just have guys that have developed in their system and are able to plug and play. And I think that's something the Browns are going to need if this team is going to be successful. So even with a Desmond King trade, uh, let's say they traded for King, Dunlap, and who was the other one I'm missing out on? Um, I Feel like there's one more trade that has happened that was pretty cheap. But even if the Browns have made those moves, I don't think anybody's thinking they're going to be they're going to move up a tier. Right? right? They're they're not. That's not going to happen. Nobody that's been traded, Yannick Ngakwe. Um, you know, whatever, are going to move the Browns up a tier. But that doesn't mean they're not going to make some moves. So we talked before the show started about a few names, and we're going to hit it off with with what seems like the biggest name and also maybe the biggest guy, and that's Quinnen Williams, someone who, if I remember right, you were really, really high on him when he was coming out in the draft. A, is that accurate? And B, what are some of your thoughts about the possibility of adding him to Miles Garrett and that defensive line?
1: Yeah. Uh, real quick, just one more note. We don't. We also don't know what happened behind the scenes as far as Desmond King. And this stuff will leak out afterwards. It, it, and especially when Rosenhaus is involved, that usually does happen afterwards. He may have gotten a call. Uh, you know, from or, or somehow gotten in contact with Andrew Berry and said, "Hey, don't bother. I hate you. Uh, my guys are never playing in Cleveland again." Or, you know what I mean? Something like that. Don't bother. He won't resign with you, or something like right. that. I, we don't know. You know, about right. you.
0: and I expect that to be honest with Rosenhaus, because a sixth-round pick hurts Desmond King's
1: leverage in contract right.
0: discussions. So right. I
1: think we will hear some stuff. Right. But uh, moving on to, to Quentin Williams, yeah, I mean, she's uh, – What a prospect, you know. And then he battled injury for most of the last year, and, uh, you know, there's a a segment of Jets fans that apparently behave exactly like a segment of Browns fans (laughs) in that if you're not wearing a gold jacket by week three, you're a bust and they hate you and you should get run out of town on a rail. Um, Let me say, uh, you know, right up front, and I think you're with me on this, I find this rumor that he's available to be highly dubious. Uh, You know, why? even if you did hate him, why would you give up on a the number three overall pick eight games into his second season when you're rebuilding and you have a, a oodles of cap space, he seems like the kind of guy you would want in a rebuild young cheap you know gives you the flexibility i don't know all that being said, if he is on the block in a heartbeat I'd give a two and i wouldn't even think about it it would i mean and obviously you try to you start lower and you try to you know, uh, get the best deal that you can. But if it takes a two, uh, no question. I mean, I wouldn't even – he'd be here yesterday. I'd, I'd carry him from New York to Cleveland piggyback. Um,
0: <laughs> no, you wouldn't.
1: And, well, uh, no, I I would try. I'd probably end up having to hire somebody. But that's how much that I would want to back. Because like you said, I mean, look at him next to Miles Garrett. I, I, I mean – Like we always say when we're talking about bringing in defensive end uh, or anyone on the defensive line to the Browns, the fact that Miles Garrett is there makes everyone everyone else's job ten times easier because when he's healthy, he's going to draw the double team. He's going to draw the triple team. Every running back and tight end chip, all of that is shaded towards Miles. So everybody else on the line, 95% of the time, you're being asked to win a one-on-one. And they're – there how many guys can win a one-on-one at least half of the time in the NFL? There's a lot of them. And so I would think that coming, being able to put your hand in the dirt and turn your head to your right and see 95 out there would be a huge draw for guys on the defensive line and free agency or if they're on, you know, hey, do you want to get traded to Cleveland with their agent? That kind of stuff. So, yeah, if he's available, I, you'd be insane not to at least make the call and engage in some serious negotiations. Now, if they're asking... You know, uh, two firsts and a player or something ridiculous like that. Of course, you know Andrew Barry's not going to step outside of his guardrails, but I, w- I would give next year second, and I wouldn't even think about it for Quinn Williams.
0: Yeah, and I think for me, you know, I'll just be blunt. There are times that certain characteristics either stand out to me or, or stick out to me, and. In his case, there's something about his baby face and his constant smiling that always has stuck out to me and not in a good way. And I know that is not what um, we should be doing. I just – I always get this soft feeling from him, and it's literally only because of that, and I always have to kind of – fight my own bias there, but again, adding uh, someone who will be 23 at the end of basically the season, right? And that's also what surprised me about Desmond King. The guy's 25 years old, right? Mm -hmm. These are young guys, but, um, you know, I think it would be silly for the Jets to make that move, but, um, you know, Joe Douglas, I think he got a six-year contract, so he has a lot of flexibility there. The Browns have some flexibility with two third-round picks, uh, as well as, you know, obviously, their full allotment uh, of picks the following year. That I think they can make some something really interesting happen there, because unfortunately, while we know the names of Sheldon Richardson and Larry Ogunjobi and you know Olivier Vernon and Adrian Claiborne, and, and really, it's been Miles Garrett, right? Olivier Vernon had a pretty good game against the Raiders, uh, but it was a little bit more of coverage sacks and Carr not wanting, or coverage, you know, pressure and Carr not wanting to throw the ball. I think it's a little bit different here in that um, adding Quentin Williams gives them some kind of long-term flexibility. But we also want to talk about a couple defensive backs from the Jets uh, as well. So uh, we got Poole and we got Marcus May. Give me some thoughts on bringing in either or both of those guys.
1: Yeah, um, I, I would be interested in both of them. Um, Poole, I really, really, I harped on him all offseason last year uh, because we needed a slot and he's been pretty damn good in this slot on, on an atrocious football team, um, and has been quiet and has gone about his job and you know has just like he always has. May has battled injuries uh, here and there, uh, but when he's healthy, I, I think he'd slide in pretty nice. And from everything that we've read, uh, the Browns want to run more three safety looks. Uh, and minimize uh, the number of linebackers on the field, and he's a guy that can help them along with Ronnie Harrison and you know, knock on wood, a, a healthy Grant Delpit next year, really fill that uh, fill that position room with a, with a lot of high end talent. I, I would be, and I can't imagine uh, that either of them would be in any way cost prohibitive um now the thing with may is um it's either this year i think it's this year it might be next you might have one more year on his contract but he is coming up for renewal and i know that people have said that they're not looking for that um but i I don't know that he's played he's played well but i don't know that he's played at a level that he's going to demand a contract where you wouldn't be able to resign him if that makes any sense um so, yeah, I'd be interested in uh, in both of those guys. Uh, if we're talking about Raiden Gangrene over there, they'd be probably the two guys the uh, highest. Well, after Quinn and Williams, they'd be the two guys highest on my list over there.
0: Yeah, and I think the interesting thing is when we talk about the secondary is really, again, about this year, next year, and we'll talk more about that at, at the end, kind of wrapping it all up. But, you know, if next year you have Ronnie Harrison and Grant Delpit and somebody, right, whether that's Carl Joseph, whether that's, whether that's another one-year free agent, you know, like a haha Clinton Dix. I have no idea. I'm just throwing out one of the random names from this offseason that we had some interest in. You know, when you think of those kind of players versus trading for or signing, you know, a a, a bigger contract like DeMarcus May, Um, you know, I, I think it just becomes interesting. And then Poole, obviously, at the cornerback position, it just doesn't seem like the Browns um, value more, you know, having a fourth cornerback that, you know, with Johnson, they paid him for one year. Uh, so I, I think it's just really interesting that we see the concerns in the secondary, obviously, uh, but the Browns seem to see answers for next year. And so then spending this year for something you have answers for next year um, versus Quinn and Williams, obviously we're talking about the defensive line. I think it's just such an interesting conversation about assets and how do you use them when you're thinking about the short and the long term, uh, especially after today where, there's current discussion about if there's any more problems and games need to be moved, that they may end up having eight teams from each team or each mm-hmm, conference mm-hmm. in the playoffs. That really opens up that making the playoffs, A, won't matter as much, uh, but B, um, will be a little easier for the Browns as well. So we talked a little bit about some of the secondary and the defensive line. You and I both agree that they're less likely to make a deal at wide receiver. But there are a couple of receivers down in Houston that that could draw our interest, as well as Brashard Perryman in New York. But we're looking at Will Fuller and Brandon Cooks. Uh, Obviously, Fuller is more of the deep speed guy, but uh, his contract ends at the end of this year. Uh, So he currently, his contract is $10 million, so the Browns would owe a little bit over six, somewhere in that area. Uh, Then you have Brandon Cooks, who they have not a potential out, Uh, after this year, uh, but right now makes $8 million in the next year. Actually, has three more uh, years on his contract for $12 million. Um, And so, really, his out is really after this season would be the best out, um, it looks like, for them. Uh, So when you look at Cooks and when you look at Fuller or even Bershard Perryman, any of them really stick out to you as, yeah, let's do that. That seems like a good move. Uh, for the
1: Browns, both maybe this year or for the following years um i i don 't know that they 're going to i don't know that they need one uh a wide receiver, but if we stipulate that they 're looking for one of those three i 'd be partial to Brandon Cooks to be quite honest because he's you know he 's a deep threat he 's the guy that takes the lid off the defense, and that 's something that they're they don 't really have right now uh since Odell went down. And uh, his contract, you know, you say, oh, $8 million this year, $12 million next year, and people, you know, they they uh, clutch their pearls. It's really not that much. Um, I mean, it's not cheap, but it's not like it's outrageous or anything like that. Um, and if these rumors about Odell being moved are true, you're basically swapping out, you know, contracts, uh, not dollar for dollar, but but, you know, close enough. Um, those would be the guys that I would uh, – uh, I, I know Baker had the good connection. He basically saved Brashad Perryman's career a couple of years ago, um, and I know he had the good connection with him. But I just – I don't know. I, it, it would be a one-year rental at a position that they're not really – focusing that they don't you know know, isn't doesn't have a lot of uh, I don't want to say not a lot of value but it's not something that they want to allocate huge amounts of dollars to um, moving forward from everything that we've seen I'll throw another name in uh, and he's at the end of his contract rookie contract but I don't know that he's going to demand a a massive one moving forward and that's Josh Reynolds uh, out in uh, Los Angeles for the Rams he is you know, through no fault of his own, he's fallen behind some guys that are really, really just have an outstanding breakout uh, years the last couple of years. And plus, uh, uh, they've adjusted their offense to be more tight end centric, much like uh, Kevin Stefanski has. And so, everything that I read says he is definitely out at the end of the year. There, there's just no way they're going to resign him. They don't have the space. They don't have the room on the roster. He doesn't fit anymore. But that's another deep threat guy with great hands who can really, really produce. And I think in this. System, he would be a tremendous piece going forward. Still a very young guy. I'll, I'll even throw something. Uh, speaking of the Rams, way outside uh, the norm, but I'll throw this in there. I, I keep reading all year, and I cannot believe it's true, but I keep seeing it over and over and over that Gerald Everett is on the trade block uh, potentially because uh, you know he he might be out at the end of the year now. Do they need another one? Because he's going to need a big contract. Uh, it seems like Chief might be on his way out, if not in the next 24 hours, maybe at the end of the year. I don't know. I'm a New Joku fan. I'm just saying, if they can get him to sign a re, you know reasonable contract, you, you think about him in Kevin Stefanski's offense, which loves tight ends, him and Hooper and Harrison Bryant. Now you're talking some really, really – confusing sets that you can set up to, to confuse the defense. So I, highly unlikely, but, you know, it would be interesting. Uh, he would be somebody that, uh, that I would be interested in if they're going to uh, look in that direction. So, but I'm with you, like you said, at the top. I, I really, I'd be surprised if they make a wide receiver move. Um, but of those three, the big names that we talked about, I'd be most interested in Brandon Cooks.
0: Yeah, and I think, you know, for me, the thing that I pointed out about Odell Beckham Jr., uh, his absence, is really that I think there's going to be an impact on the run game. Um, you have those safeties who now, they they literally had Jonathan Abrams in the box the entire game. Obviously, the win plays a factor, but I think you're going to see a lot of one-high safety is against the Browns, because there isn't that deep threat guy. Mm-hmm. I think Hodge can play a little of that, um, but my biggest concern is without any kind of speed, you know, JoJo Natson's out, obviously Odo Beckham Jr.'s out. I really am concerned about what it does to the run game and just how it's going to crowd everything, right? You're going to see all 11 defenders basically in the TV view of the offense and defense which is very rare. Normally, you're going to see one or two safeties outside of the view just because of you know playing some depth. But without that, Jarvis Landry is not really running past people. Um, none of the tight ends, besides even Njoku is probably the closest to be able to really run past anybody. They're, they really lack some of that. So again, I think Yes, you have to talk about what you value, uh, but you have to have some speed. You just do. Like, you need a Travis Benjamin. Like, remember him when the Kyle Shanahan mm-hmm. offense? There's just a lot to that. So, I really value speed. I don't even know if they have to be able to catch, which is a Will Fuller issue. Um, but I just need somebody who threatens the defense enough that they keep two safeties back or at least play a little bit off the line of scrimmage. If not, it doesn't really matter. You know, it, it's just going to be such a crowded view, and the defense can get far. if they're all kind of bunched around, they'll be able to do a lot more creative things that Baker Mayfield will have to unfold as the as he takes the snap, which obviously isn't always his strength. So we are at seven, almost seven thirty, the night before the NFL and the election. Please vote. Um, so given that. The conversation that we see on Twitter, obviously with the Desmond King trade, uh, we've talked about a few players here already, is really this year versus next year or assets and, and how to use it and rentals and all that stuff. Given everything you think you know, and I think I know, what are your expectations for tomorrow and how would you feel if there
1: is no trades made by the Cleveland Browns? I would not be shocked. Because and and not because Andrew Berry doesn't think we need highlights. You see, these people are already, you know, two weeks ago they were singing his praises and wanting to hoist him on his shoulder, on their shoulders, and carry him around town. And now they want him fired, and they're bringing up the old, you know, analytics and you know all that kind of stuff, all those arguments and everything. He will. I can't imagine he's not burning the phones right now. He is absolutely looking for a deal, but he will not go outside of his guardrails, whether that's price, age, you know, contract status, whatever you have. If there's a deal that falls to them, and if you ask me to be a betting man, I'm guessing one, maybe two will at some point, just because of the cap situation next year, Um so, but if they don't, if he doesn't see what he's not going to buy something just to buy something, he's not going to do that. There'll be no impulse buying. I cannot imagine somebody was asking me today about Ryan Kerrigan. I like Ryan Kerrigan quite a bit, but he's 32 and he's in the last year of his contract. I, I you know, it just doesn't seem to make sense. Cam Wake might make some sense if you're talking about a guy in his, you know, uh, north of 30 that they might want to rent for one year, but he's a street free agent. That's a different story. If they could get Cam Wake to come in on some sort of, you know, relatively cheap veteran deal line up uh, on the opposite end, uh just ask to rush the passer for, you know, 30 snaps a game across from Miles Garrett, I would do that in a heartbeat. Um, but trading for somebody north of 30, it's, it's one of the reasons why I prob- I would be very surprised if they're even remotely in on the Stefan Gilmore stuff, as good as he is, he's 30. It, it just doesn't fit what they seem to want. So I, I'm guessing there's going to be a deal. It's probably not going to be a huge splash deal that, that's going to make everybody happy, uh, but I'm guessing there'll be a deal maybe two. Um, but like you said, the biggest thing to consider here is this year versus the next five years because realistically, they're just not built right now, even at full health, when they get Chubb and Teller and Jacob Phillips and, you know, maybe Greedy and all those other people back healthy and make another acquisition or two, they're just not built to make a run up against the, the Kansas Cities and the Pittsburghs and the Baltimores this year. It's just It's just not in the cards. Next year, everything they have done indicates that they believe next year is the first year of their legitimate window. So to do anything that screws that up when you're talking about a cap situation that they could be in better position to take advantage of than a lot of other teams come March free agency, it, it, it doesn't make a lot of sense to throw a lot of assets into it this year. Um, I mean, next year... Just real quick, and I'm sure we'll get into this more as free agency draws uh, near. You're looking at somewhere between 175 and 185 now. So let's say it's 180. With their 32 million of rollover cap, cap the uh, Browns next year can actually have 212 million dollars worth of contracts. There are at least half a dozen teams out there that have to shed $20, 30 $40, 50000000 million dollars worth of contract. The, the Saints are $100 million over uh, of what it's expected to be. They're going to be cutting and restructuring and, and dumping guys like crazy. So, and the Browns are going to be in position to be, get guys in the offseason for pennies on the dollar, you know, as far as trade assets go, because other teams simply aren't going to be able to afford them. And the Browns can structure the contract in such a way to take advantage of that rollover cap next year, then when it disappears in two thousand and twenty two it won 't be an issue and still have a good cap situation moving forward so uh, to to expect them to go you know all out this year when it 's just not in the cards, I think everyone needs to temper their expectations. there probably will be a move, maybe two, but it 's not going to be somebody like you said that moves the needle uh, all that tremendously much
0: you know I think Stefan Gilmore is really the one guy who makes sense to me, even though his age is not there. And I think he makes sense in a leadership perspective, talent perspective, right now contract perspective, even though there's all this talk that he's going to want a new contract, despite the fact that he got a huge signing bonus and all that stuff for his last year on his deal. He makes a lot of sense to me because I think there's some versatility there uh, that he can play some safety inside, outside, all kinds mm-hmm. of different things. He's the one, the one big move that – I think could happen and make sense to me. I don't think it's likely, uh, but it makes sense to me. But everybody talking about Andrew Barry, I just want to be really blunt, is I had a lot of concerns that he was not going to be aggressive. He said he was going to be aggressive. I didn't believe him. And they came out with Austin Hooper and Jack Conklin like a hiccup. Like free agency open, boom, boom, top right tackle, maybe top tackle on the market top tight end on the market, boom, boom, off the market, they are Browns. He went very aggressive to make sure he got what he wanted, and he paid a good price to do that. So I think it's so easy to, to still have some combination of Sashi Brown and Andrew Barry in your head, but the reality is that when he wants something, he gets it. And you talk about guardrails, I think it's very clear that he, will, he has guardrails, and it's very. And I know from talking to, to teams and agents and people around the league that people feel like it's very clear communication with Andrew Barry. He'll give you this. Maybe he'll negotiate a little bit here and there, but this is what he's going to do, and if you don't want that, fine. That's okay. And one of the things I wrote about this offseason is you don't want your general manager going outside of what they believe. You want them to believe firmly mm-hmm. in what they believe and you want them to act on it. And I think Andrew Barry is going to do that. And so if he gets a good deal for Stefan Gilmore and feels like he can get an extension and or, you know, some kind of deal later and feels good about that, then, then he's gonna make that deal, right? If he gives up a, a fourth round pick or a future whatever or heck, you know, Bill Belichick wants David Njoku, and he's going to make him the next great tight end. Maybe that's the deal that has to be made. Um, but you're right. Andrew Barry's not going to go outside of his guardrails. It's not about this season versus next season per se. There is some of that. But in the end, what you want your organization to know what they value. I, always, I tell my clients this all the time. A disciplined person knows what they value acts on it, and accepts the consequences. That's what a disciplined person does. And you want, no matter what organization you're talking about, you want them to know what they value, act on it, and accept the consequences of that, which this year, honestly, the consequences are, worst case scenario, they barely missed the playoffs. That's it. They barely missed the playoffs. Best case scenario, we all think, is maybe a first-round win in the playoffs. That's it, right? So that's the... That's the fine line that we're walking. But we are already 36 minutes in, folks, to the Orange and Brown Report podcast with Stephen Thomas. We appreciate you coming on. Tomorrow will be very interesting. Again, make sure you follow us on Twitter, um, at the OBR. Uh, and Stephen, can go ahead and give out what your at is, because I don't have it pulled up on my screen right now.
1: Uh, yeah, just uh, at Brown's Mock Draft, you know, right there. And then in game, I'm on the OBR official Twitter account if you're not if you didn't already decipher that from the tsunami of gifts that come between 1 and 4 p.m. Eastern uh, every Sunday uh, that's me at the helm there but uh, yeah at Browns Mock Draft uh, and uh, I'll try to uh, and if you come to the OBR forums I'll try to answer any questions I can there's a lot of guys that are you know more connected in the building. Uh, Brad and Lane and, and Jared and Jake, they have people that in the building that talk to them, but I try to answer whenever I can in the OBR forums. Uh, follow us along on Rumor Central, because tomorrow's going to be, even if nothing happens, it's going to be fun. It's always a fun day uh, on Twitter, because it, <laughs> inevitably, there's half a dozen rumors that start out as, <clears throat> no way, that's stupid, who is that guy? And then 30 minutes later, everybody's arguing the merits of it. It's, it's a blast. <laughs> Of a day, if you've never followed Brown's Twitter on trade Line deadline trade deadline day, I highly recommend you do it tomorrow. It's just tremendous theater.
0: That is that is the plan. So make sure you do that, and then uh, make sure you check out. I'm just gonna pimp it out for him. Make sure you check out Stephen on Pandora and Spotify, and probably all those other places. Uh, one of his CDs I know of is Wife Dust or something like that. I'm close, but make sure you check out Steven's comedy work. Uh, there is a level of humor to it now that I have turned a certain age that becomes more and more appropriate for me. Uh, so I so I appreciate it now more than ever. So, Stephen, again, thank you for coming on, man. Hope tomorrow is a lot of fun um, and uh, everything goes the way that you hope it to be. Uh, out there in your in your in your California uh, palatial estates. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah. Uh, that's the word. There's two words wrong in palatial estate. I'll I'll let you guess which one. But, uh, <laughs> always a blast coming on. Thanks for having me, brother. Go Browns.
0: Absolutely, and thank you all for stopping by again. The OBR podcast. I'm your host, Jared Mueller, Stephen Thomas, uh, a great guest to have on all the time. Please, 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 please take care of yourself. Take care of others. Take care of your votes than go Browns.